0: Oh my goodness! I always—it's become a cliche. Every time I come out here, I go wow, 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 like I was not expecting anyone to show up. Uh, but uh, but you're here. Thank you for coming. This is a really special event. Uh, in case you didn't know, and if that makes you nervous, now's the time to get out, because this this is such a special event. I have hardly any notes because I, I feel particularly unequal. Uh, to the subject and the story uh, of my guest Yonmi Park. Let me a- actually ask you a question before I begin. How many of you have never been to a Socrates event before? Oh, quite quite a number of you. Look at that. Look at that. All right. So we will not disappoint you because we want you to come back. Uh, no, we we really been doing this now. It's really almost preposterous to think of it. it this is. I, I think we're just starting our 24th year. I was just a, just a kid, uh, just a kid out of grade school and I had an idea. You know, in America, you can do anything if you have an idea. And, uh, I was, uh, I was just a little girl at the time and I said, I, now listen, I don't want to get political, but in America, if you put your mind to it, you know, you can just, whatever, whatever. Uh, and I was tiny and blonde, and I said, by God's grace, someday I'm going to be different in, in every way, and I'm going to start a speaker series, and of course we started this in 2000. We really did start this in 2000, and do you remember, whenever I say 2000, it sounds like it, when I grew up, 2000 was the future, yeah. right? Two th- like in, in the year 2000, you know, we'll all be wearing silver unitards or something like that, right? But anyway, we've been doing this for years. Um, it's only in the last 10 or 12 years that I've been interviewing uh, uh, people and we've interviewed a vast array of of guests. Uh, for example, I've interviewed people who have walked on the moon uh, and I've interviewed people who have not ever walked on the moon um, and everything in between. Yeah. I want you to think about that. That makes, that makes no sense, but it sounds like it should, though, right? Everything in between. But no, we've, we've just had a vast array of guests. Ionmi uh, Park uh, is the youngest uh, guest we've ever had at Socrates in the city. Um, we had one of my favorite guests ever was my oldest guest, which some of you know was uh, Alice von Hildebrand, who was 90 when she was my guest. And what a fireball she was. It took three New York cops to, oh man, she was, yeah, she was, uh, she had a little too much and got out of hand, got out of hand. You know, old people, they don't know their limits. But, uh, no, but she, some of the conversations that I've had over the years, hers is a classic example. Just the other day, I don't know where I was, I've been traveling so much, but somebody comes up to me and says, I'll never forget your Socrates in the City with Alice von Hildebrand. That conversation changed my life. And I have to tell you, we have had a number of those Conversations over the years, um, because ideas matter, Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. You know, critical thinking was not invented at the Enlightenment. Did you realize that? Yeah, the Greeks were there first. We were there first. We were there before you. I don 't care who you are, unless you 're Greek. but But the idea that we can think about things we can explore the nature of reality. We can talk about truth, is there truth, what is truth, whatever. We thought we would ho- have those kinds of conversations. And as I said, we've had just a vast array of conversations over the years. I recommend that you just go to our website, socratesinthecity.com. You can watch them. Um, and really, some of them are just um, extraordinary. Typically, we frame the evening around a big question. Um and th- this evening though I was so nonplussed by Yoon mi's story that I hardly know where to begin or what question uh to ask. For those of you unfamiliar with Yon in a nutshell, uh I will simply say that she and her mother uh escaped North Korea and survived. It's an astonishing Story. Uh, Her first book, which came out a few years ago, I don't think we have copies of that here, but you can get copies, I believe, at SocratesInTheCity.com. You must read that book. I wish that book were mandatory reading for every young American. I say that emphatically, with the authority of my decades. (laughs) With, with, with. It is one story that, when you read that story. You appreciate things in a way that you couldn't possibly have before. So tonight, uh, you and me will, will tell uh, much of that uh, story. Um, my uh, mother and father uh, have experienced something similar. Some of you in the room have. My mother escaped East Germany, okay? When Stalin took over, you know, Germ- uh, that part of Germany, she escaped when she was 17 years old. So I have lived with these stories of what it means to escape a totalitarian regime and when your own mother uh did that at age 17 it it gives you a perspective and i know i've said this before that your average american couldn't possibly have you couldn't possibly appreciate what it is that we have here because we've most of us uh t- t- take it for granted and we're we're already on to denigrating it uh and and the fact of the matter is that um, when you've come from a place that is as uh dedicatedly against freedom uh as North Korea uh or as the former Soviet Union it will it will give you a perspective and it's really valuable that we uh that we hear those stories because they're true um, uh in, in terms of uh details of the biography of Yeonmi she's way too young to have any resume for me to recite to you except that I mention she escaped North Korea yeah, that pretty much says it all. Uh, and if that wasn't tough enough, she went to Columbia University. <laughs> and, uh, which used to be in the Ivy League until ten minutes ago. Um, they, uh, no, it's, uh, we'll talk about all of that. It really is a genuine privilege to have as my guest, Yonmi Park. Yonmi, please turn well how you doing
1: I'm doing well actually
0: you're doing well actually um,
1: actually uh, yeah I mean before I say this I normally don't sound like this <laughs> I have coffee drop like cough drop in my yeah. mouth I had a flu two weeks ago I'm not sick I'm not completely you had the um, flu yes but you need I, to get
0: the vaccine <laughs> they have a vaccine very that. powerful vaccine they could kill you but if it doesn't kill you it knocks out a lot of symptoms <laughs> I really meant what I was saying about um, when I read your story. The the first book is In Order to Live, so I'll show it here. Uh, In Order to Live, what year did you write this book?
1: 2014 to Mm
0: 2015. So you were very, very young when you wrote the story, and this is the story of your escape from from North Korea. Uh, I want us to talk about that, and then I want to get to your new book, uh, which is, is quite new, um, where you, you talk about your experience in America, uh, at Columbia among the cultural elites, uh, of, uh, of the United States. So, how do we start, uh, you and me? Your, your story is in some ways, um, in some ways is very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so t- tell us, what are your, earliest memories. I was very moved by some of your earliest memories and you um, it's, it's astonishing that you remember mm-hmm. when you were very very young uh, being with your sister alone uh, being hungry but how do you how do you begin a story like this?
1: I, I mean just sitting in this room is very surreal to me looking at these beautiful portraits of American heroes and in North Korea when you're born there Nobody is actually allowed to compete with our dear leader. So
0: Compete with our dear leader, you said.
1: Yeah. So in North Korea, actually, we don't have ad. We don't have advertisement.
0: You don't have art.
1: No advertisement.
0: And no advertisements.
1: Yes. So every room I see like this, the first thing, the thing that we see is a portrait of dictators. Every room is trains, school classrooms, households, in household, we have to find the finest wall we can find and put the portraits of dictators. And we have to guard that with our lives.
0: And when you say dictators, you're talking about the three. Uh, now it's Kim Jong-un, mm-hmm. his father, Kim Jong-il, and his father.
1: And the wife of Kim Jong-il, Kim the mother of Kim Jong-il. So the woman as well.
0: In, in the book, in both books, you describe it as a cult like a brainwashing cult and it is but it's it's hard for us to believe even reading the book the level of of how true this is is it, it's it's very difficult to grasp yeah. an entire society um, in which you are essentially commanded to worship a human being
1: mm-hmm.
0: whom you'll never will meet
1: but for us, he's not a human being, he's a god, right? Like he doesn't go to bathroom. <laughs> that was a real thing for North Koreans. And I literally believed that he had the power to read my thoughts even. So I was even afraid to think.
0: So, so in North Korea, the, the, the idea then is that these are, these are gods, you are to worship them, and life Revolves around that. What is the line that you use many times in the book that even the mice, your mother taught you that, even the mice and the birds can hear your thoughts?
1: So, yeah, the very first thing that my mother taught me when I was younger was don't even whisper because the birds and mice could hear me. And mice are everywhere in North Korea and birds are everywhere like that. It's in a way, like, in a way resembles a little bit like America right now where people cannot trust each other because you never know who is a spy. You know, there's a bag in North Korea like I'm saying you don't even trust your own back. There are cases where children on their mothers, parents on their children, and they tell us early on, you know, the most important thing that my teacher told me was, he's not your biological father. He's your real father, he's your spiritual our leader. So you know, in North Korea, nobody is a really, so we don't have word like friend. We don't have vocabulary friend. We have word for comrade. When you are comrade with your classmate, that's a very different relationship. You exist to serve the revolution, but you are not there to make friends with each other. So like that, the concept of love, liberty, human rights, or even gay don't exist, so simply, we are not allowed to know what that means. In
0: 1984, George Orwell's book, he writes about this.
1: Double speak.
0: And he writes about how certain words will, they are stripped of meaning so that you can be free of lice. You can be free of, the, the word free is reduced to that kind of thing, but the concept of freedom is wiped out. But this is, according to both your books, literally the case in North Korea. that You're not allowed to talk about anything uh, along the lines that, well, you're you're not allowed to talk about almost anything, it seems to me.
1: Yeah, it's like the most dangerous thing that you have in your body is your tongue. If I said one wrong word, that was going to kill up to eight generations of my family along with me. So in North Korea, the crimes, like, they separate to two crimes. One is economic freedom, I mean, crime, and one is political crime. Economic crime is like raping child. You, like murdering somebody, stealing somebody. You don't get, like, rape is not a crime in North Korea. You can do that.
0: Rape is not
1: a crime? Yeah, the I mean, North Korean dictator himself has a pleasure squad. He has young girls from every elementary school get you know, drafted to Pyongyang. And they believe that having sex with the young kids is going to prolong their life. So like rape is an institutional thing in the country. But the real crime, the North Korean regime says, a political crime. Like in every middle of the night, the officials kick the door and come into your room. And then they, you the know, whitest cloth like this, they swap the portraits on the edge. And if you find a little dust.
0: The portraits of the, of the, the dictator. I read this recently, I'm not, I'm not sure, I think it's at the end of your second book, but that was amazing to me. In other words, this is true, this is not just an idea, that they will come to your home and if you have neglected the upkeep of the portrait, yes. if they find dust on the portrait, you can be taken away for this.
1: You get executed. And through generations of your family sent to prison camp. And this is a thing to understand, when you... End up in North Korean prison camp. It's, the first thing you cannot do is ask why you're there. So I met a lot of defectors who escaped later. They were sent to prison camp when they're 80 years old, till they're like 27. Till now, till till this moment, they don't know why they end up there. So, so oftentimes maybe their grandfather grandfather said something wrong, and then that discovered 30 years later and that's how you end up in a prison camp. But if you ask a guard why you are there, they execute you.
0: They execute you.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, let's go back to the beginning of your life. Um, it, it's amazing to me when you describe the personality of your father. Your father was obviously very intelligent. It seems obvious and very entrepreneurial and creative. And um, talk a little bit about what life was like when you were very, very young.
1: I mean, very, very young. It's like a, I mean, we don't have electricity. You know, we don't have like central heating. I remember being very cold. And I remember just feeling very hungry. And I don't remember seeing any color. So, that's all I remember, like, the, my dream as a young kid was having a bucket of bread. Because I never thought that was impossible, right? How can a person have that much food? And that's just all oh, I remember, every day, like, dreaming of food. Like, someday I was hoping, you know, maybe if there's a... We don't know what God is in North Korea, but somebody in the sky might drop a, you know, bread to me. Like, that's all you think about.
0: You, you talk about going with your sister to find leaves from the trees and insects to eat
1: yeah so i mean like uh, my source of nutrition is summertime in the fall is the drugs i mean grasshoppers in the harvesting time the rice field, and in the august and july we catch dragonflies and then the summer before the summer a lot of plants are not poisonous at the moment and they're a lot like Soft, so we can eat a lot of tree, even leaves. But after May, a lot of them become poisonous. Then we have to be very careful. And then right now, actually, is a March and April, and this is the time when I escaped. This is the season of death for North Koreans.
0: This was a big thing uh, in the book. You say that spring is considered a season of death. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's the opposite. In most of the world, people think the spring, life is coming. It's beautiful. Summer is coming. But for you, it was the season of death. Explain why that was.
1: So in the winter time, right, in the the fall, we might like gather like dried cabbage and a lot of, you know, just plants survive. And they eventually they run out through February and March and April. If you go out, I don't know if you notice those things. Plants are not long enough to eat, and they are not there yet. So now it's like we're massive starvation begins from March to April.
0: And this was true, of course, in the in the 90s when you were little. Hmm. But it's true now.
1: Yeah, it's now it's worse. Actually, during the pandemic, Kim Jong Un locked the country completely. So now the people started having a cannibalism. Over the last few years.
0: You um, you talk about your father um, doing something which I didn't think it was possible to do. But uh, that there was a, an active black market in the 90s. Um, because things were so bad. I guess I want to figure this out. You... Did China stop subsidizing North Korea in the 90s? Why did things get... I mean, things have been very, very bad for a very long time, but but it was even more difficult in the 90s. So a black market developed.
1: Right. So here we often say, you know, socialism only works until you earn uh, someone else's money, right? (laughs) So it was that case for North Koreans. Socialism kind of worked until the late 80s, Because our economy was heavily subsidized by, I mean, Soviet Union and China, and Soviet Union collapsed, right? So they stopped helping North Korea, and the regime could not find any more a subsidy for the people. And until that moment, we are socialist paradise. We have free healthcare, free education, free housing, free public ration. And then 90s, Kim Jong Il hear about like starvation. And then people saying, like, what are you going to do? People are dying. And then he thought, actually, it's easy to do socialism when you have less people. It's easy to control people when they're less. So why don't you let them die? So he decided to keep only 10% population who are in capital. It's like Hunger Games, right? There's a district and there's a capital. So that capital people are loyal to me. So in North Korea, again. Okay, we have three different main classes. We are a homogeneous country, we speak the same language, but regime divided us into three classes. First class is royal. They call them tomato. You are red outside and inside. That means you are true communist. Middle class is called apple. You are red outside, but inside is white, so you're questionable. You need a surveillance. Remaining is completely schooled people. You're great. You're not even red outside. So they call them hostile class. So three these classes, they divided into another 51 classes. In the same people, in the socialist paradise, where everybody should be equal. And based on that classes, they decide who gets fed, who dies in from starvation. So we were living in a countryside. We were not in capital. And that's why... In the nineties the massive famine began and millions of people died because of that.
0: Millions of people died from starvation.
1: Yeah, more than three point five millions from nineteen ninety five to nineteen ninety eight when I was a toddler.
0: It's it's unbelievable. I, I assume you've heard about the the starvation in the Ukraine in the nineteen thirties. It's a similar
1: man made yeah. thing.
0: Man made yeah. killing via yeah. starvation. But the idea that this happened in the lifetime of those of us sitting here in North Korea uh, is is horrifying. So what did your father do to augment uh, what you had?
1: So he decided to trade. And this is why I learned later why all these communist countries stopped the market. Because if the individuals start trading for themselves, they really learn. To think for themselves
0: this is a this is a big big piece of information when i read that i thought that's an amazing insight when people start trading when there's some kind of a market it teaches people to think for themselves yeah so this is one of the reasons one of the reasons that the regime is against any trading kind of market. market or trading
1: and then so my father went to black market and he, you say black market it seems like selling drugs and veterinaries. Black market in North Korea means you're selling dried fish, clocks and batteries and clothes. That's how he got into, you know, selling dried fish and selling rice in the black market. That's how he fed me.
0: That's how he fed you <laughs> and your sister and mm-hmm. your mother. Yeah. Um, and how, did, did the regime look the other way a little bit because they knew that we can't feed these people?
1: The regime did not look away, but the officials did. So officials are unbelievably corrupt. North Korea is the most corrupt country. And if you go to any socialist country, it's so corrupt, right? Even Soviet Union, they had to bribe the doctor to see the doctor. And North Korea like that. If you don't bribe the doctor, they would refuse to operate on you. They would not save you, even if you die. So like the officials were receiving bribes from my father, letting him do the business
0: so you 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 talk about this that it's a it's a system of tremendous corruption i mean it's hard for us to imagine and but your father was in a in a very limited way thriving for a little while yeah how old were you when when things were going relatively well i say relatively because they weren't going well but compared to others in north korea
1: when I was six, seven, we were, we, I ate three times a day. And for North Korean standard, that's like out of this world. I did not eat steak or like meat, but I ate some grains and kimchi. Do you guys know what kimchi is? Yeah. So I ate kimchi and some grains three times a day and that was very luxurious.
0: And what happened to your father that this was, that this period ended? It was no longer possible for him to do that?
1: When I was almost turning nine, he got caught, and he was at the time selling precious metals, like nickel, copper, and he got caught, and he was sent to labor camp for that.
0: That was a very daring thing for him to do, and you describe it in the hmm. book, and I, and I do mean it, folks, when I say that the, the first book that Yeonmi wrote, In Order to Live, this is like mandatory. I'm begging every one of you to read this book. Because you need to know the details. You'll you'll see when you read it. Um, You describe that things were so desperate Mm -hmm. that your father didn't care that he's doing something tremendously risky. He knew he can lose his life when he goes to this next level because first he's trading simple things, but then um, he has to he he and. I think, do you say that he used, the the smuggling became very dangerous. He was using the uh, the railroad car of from the dear leader.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It's like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So in North Korea train, like every train is funny. One country to one country impact. in South Korea it takes two hours from one end to end. North Korea takes more than a month because trains, like we don't have electricity, a lot of times people have to push the train to move, right? <laughs> so literally, it's like, I remember my job was going to a train station to find out when train arrives. And I had to walk the train station for like an hour, and here the train comes in a week and not, never comes in, in a week. So in that, whenever that train runs, one cargo has dedicated to carry the things for the dictator in Pyongyang. So in that cargo is like, literally in North Korea, they draft young girls called the Pleasure Squad. And there are three groups of Pleasure Squad. One is a satisfactory group where you perform sex act to the dictator and the officials. Second is a happiness group where you uh, give them massage and acupuncture. Third one is a dance and singing. But below that three group is like subgroup is not quite pretty enough, but you're still good looking. These girls are recruiting these different resorts around the country. More than 2,000 of them. Kim Jong Un has his own private resorts. They wait their entire year, raise pigs and porks and hand massage these animals. So that anything that fits to dictator has to be special, most like care, you know. Thing. They have to like water plants different way. So this cargo she was taking those precious things to the dictator and my father used that cargo to carry the matters. And that's why it was so dangerous.
0: So it's a simple issue of corruption. If you bribe the right people you're okay.
1: Kind of kind a of. certain limit. Yeah. Certain limit.
0: But that's the that, that's the magic was yeah. that if you bri- if you can bribe the right people. Um yeah. And so eventually, your father was caught. Yeah. And what happened?
1: Oh, I mean, North Korea, we don't have a word for lawyer. We don't know what that is.
0: You don't have a word for lawyer?
1: Yeah, I never knew. You don't like defend How do you defend anybody, like, you know? So he got arrested. And I heard he went through an unbelievable amount of torture and then sent to prison camp. So I. There's no trial or like anything like that. In North Korea, we don't have internet. We, we, we don't write emails. We don't write letters. Nothing works. So I just didn't ever get to see him afterwards for a long time.
0: When you were 11, you started trading yourself. Yeah. You started, you entered business as an 11-year-old. Uh-huh. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: <laughs> so my very first attempt to survive in North Korea was bribing the guard and the orchard. I gave In the him orchard? The, yeah, North Korean Moonlight. It's very murky drink, you know, alcohol that you make, and then I bought it and gave it to the orchard guard, and then I bought the persimmons. I carry them and then sold them in the black market.
0: So you bribed the orchard guard with alcohol, yeah. but you had to use money to get the alcohol. My
1: mom lent me money. <laughs>
0: To, to pay for the alcohol, to bribe the orchard guard, huh. to get a few persimmons to sell.
1: Yeah, but My mom shut down the business because me had to walk the orchard, right? And it, miles, miles, takes like six hours to walk there and come back six hours, so my shoes were worn off. My mom is like, the money you're making not even enough for me to buy you a pair of shoes. So she eventually shut down the business. <laughs>
0: what, when did your... So you have one older sister. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember the details. Did she escape first? She did. How old were you when she left?
1: She escaped, actually, now it's March 30th today, right? My sister escaped March 26, 2007. I escaped four days later, four days later March 30th today, actually, 2007.
0: Four days later? Yeah. So how old were you?
1: I was 13 years old.
0: Thirteen. So when somebody says they escape from North Korea, you did and you didn't in the sense that what happened to you after that, you were still enslaved. We'll get into that. But you you were 13. And how is it possible? Because most people would think when you describe the situation that it's not possible to get out. So how was it possible Mm -hmm. to escape in 2007?
1: So this is really so weird for me right now, sitting in this room along with all these many American bastards. (laughs) That was a one word for me at school. And like you said, you know, escape is not a concept for North Korean. And so in North Korea we don't have internet, so we don't know what the world looked like. I did not even know how many countries in the world existed, (laughs) and they did not even tell me that I was Asian. They told me I was Kimir Song race, my dictator race. It's
0: his own race.
1: Yeah, and North is a different calendar. Our calendar begins where Kimir Song was born, not when Jesus Christ was born. So of course I had no idea how the world existed.
0: I want to, I, I want to interrupt you just to, to, because to, there, there's so many interesting things. Have I mentioned you need to buy this book? <laughs> yeah, and you need to read it. But in this book, there's so many extraordinary details we'll never get to tonight but this is amazing you said in second grade we were taught simple math but not the way it's taught in other countries even, in north korea even arithmetic is a propaganda tool a typical problem would go like this if you kill one american bastard and your comrade kills two how many dead american bastards do you have <laughs> I mean, this is amazing. It's funny and horrifying that even to teach little children basic math, they're giving you propaganda about the West. Yeah. But this infused the whole your whole life. There's no there's no aspect of your life, as you describe it, that was not like that.
1: Yeah, I mean even the songs that I sang in North Korea, people literally get executed for watching a wrong movie. You get executed, you know. Like one of the public executions I saw was a my friend mother uh watched Hollywood movie and she shared it with her friend. And that was a crime in North Korea. You get executed for.
0: She was publicly executed. Yeah. And you saw the execution.
1: Mm-hmm. And with my friend, with my friend, that was her mother. They sit the children first row because we are the shortest. So they put the infants first, and then little kids, and then as your height goes, you go the backwards. That's how it means mandatory every human being is to attend the public execution in North Korea. And now after Kim Jong Un, he decided that we don't even deserve bullets. Bullets are too precious to use on his own people. So he used something called hot boxing in a hot metal box. He put the human beings in it and let them dry to death.
0: Yeah, there are things that you say that's in this in the end part of the second book that um, they're, they're almost impossible to talk about what they um, what people suffered. And I think You know, when I I talk about Socrates in the city, we ask questions. And one question is, is there such a thing as evil? Because there are many people who don't believe in that idea. But when you read what is done by some people to other people, there's no other category except to say this is evil. This is evil. And it's hard to say why we know that, but we know that. It's so horrifying that it goes beyond error, mistake, <laughs> bad. There's yeah. something deeply evil. Uh, and you describe in the end of the second book some of these things, some of these executions, which I don't really want to go into right now because it's, uh, it's so horrifying. But what does it do to you to live with that? I mean, you're saying you're a little girl and you're forced to attend the execution of your friend's mother. Mm. How are you supposed to behave in a moment like this?
1: So I mean, the fact that you can be de- depressed or traumatized to me that's a definition of privilege. Mm-hmm. Like in North Korea, you don't have the word depression because how can you possibly depress in a socialist paradise? Mm-hmm. They don't give you the word depression to describe that. And. Now I came to America, I was writing that first book. My agent in New York was asking me, you know you need to go see a therapist. You're traumatized, you have PTSD. And I was like, what's a trauma, right? And she's like, here's the thing Americans do, you know, go talk to somebody. I asked her like how much is it? She normally charges 700 bucks, but it's like 250 for you, special rate. I said, you know, thank you. (laughs) But I you survive in a country humans are very resilient. There's so many people go through, you know, even seeing their own mother getting executed and come out of very strong. So I think for me it was not even a challenge for me. And in North Korea like that was a norm like seeing dead bodies like looking at a tree. Nobody told me that I was like that was abnormal. I just only learned here that that's abnormal.
0: So, um, so your father is, is taken away. You don't know where he is. At 13, your sister somehow decides to get out. Now, so how, how did she get out and how did you get out?
1: So, into China. We want to escape together. And luckily, we are living in the border town of North Korea. And if you see North Korea and pictures, satellite pictures, it's like the darkest place in the world. I keep telling my friends who are very passionate about climate change, like go to North Korea, we have Earth Day every day. (laughs) We don't have non-impact whatsoever. (laughs) We eat insects, you know, we don't butcher cows (laughs) there. It's a paradise. (laughs) But because of the darkness, I was able to see the lights coming from China at night. And that's when we got some clue. Maybe if we go to China, we might find a bowl of rice. So when I was escaping from North Korea, I did not escape for freedom. I was escaping for a bottle of rice.
0: You, um, you your, your sister went, you said a few days before yeah, you and your mother. because
1: I got sick, so I couldn't go, so she left. Yeah, you, you,
0: you were misdiagnosed. Yeah. Uh, because socialist medicine is not perfect, as we've been told. <laughs> And you were misdiagnosed, you did not have appendicitis, but you were treated for appendicitis.
1: So, so I was very stomach ached, so my mom took to the hospital in North Korea, L- literally nurse inject every patient with one needle.
0: With the same needle?
1: Same needle to every patient. They use beer bottles as a draw. You don't have x-ray machines, we don't have any of that. And then uh, doctors rubbed my belly and he said, she might have appendicitis. So they opened me up without any anesthesia that day. It's a common in her skin, they they like cut your bones out like that. And then when they opened it, it was just malnutrition and infection. So doctor still decided, he was embarrassed, right? Take my appendix out.
0: He was embarrassed? Yeah. So he figured, we opened her up, might as well take out my the appendix. My perfectly
1: fine organ taken out of me, so I'm yeah. going to sue him. And I got back in yeah. her skirt.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you were recovering from this your sister escapes and then this is when you insist to your mother we must go
1: oh no I got out and I found a note that my sister left me in a pillowcase she said go find this lady she will help me to come find me in China so I found a note I went to find that lady with my mother that morning and then when we found the lady she just miraculously said I can help you to go to China to find your sister and they will have food for you
0: and they will have food for you yeah. okay so this is the trick they are these are corrupt people
1: yeah
0: and they know mm. that they can sell you into sexual slavery mm. and so they use the bait of food yeah. so you and your mother believe this woman
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, because your sister obviously Went through the same thing. Yeah. And she said if you, if you, she left you a note that if you go to this woman, she will help you.
1: Yeah. So I think this is where, uh, people don't, I think, hard to understand. Even though as horrific as human trafficking is. To me, I think I talk about in my book that two things I'm most grateful for. One is that I was born in North Korea. One that I escaped. And that means that I was stored. If she didn't sell me, I would not be here. I'd be dead. So uh, she even sold her own daughters. Because if she didn't sell her own daughters, they would die from starvation in North Korea.
0: So to be clear, the way this works, there's a market for women to be sold because, tell me if I'm wrong, Mm. China aborted so many human beings, most of them girls, so there's a shortage of girls in China, yeah. so they have opened the idea to a market of women to be sold from North Korea, and this is happening, and they're allow- the Chinese are allowing this to happen.
1: The government allows this
0: to happen. The Chinese government, of yes. course. Yeah. So that is how you and your mother were sold into China.
1: Yeah, so like I said, there are 33 million men in China, 33 million adult men, not even counting young children that growing up. That gap gonna keep going up.
0: You mean you mean the gap you mean
1: between ratio between men and women. Right. So currently 33 million men in China cannot find wives. Right. And they gotta find somewhere, so they look for sex slavery from North Korea. And the reason why the regime, Chinese government, is helping this. If they catch the North Korean women, and then if they will help us go to South Korea, we will not be sold there. But they catch us. So we are very vulnerable. So when we human traffickers set us, kill us, take our organs out, we have no place to go.
0: So the Chinese government knows this is happening. Yeah. And they're cynically using this. They're, they're they're not interested in helping someone like you or your mother. This is...
1: They're helping Kim Jong-un.
0: They're so, helping the dictator.
1: That's the pact they made. So Kim Jong-un learned that the factors escape like me, speak out, expose their regime, because journalists cannot go to North Korea and just start filming, right? North Korea is a... I mean, it's like... It's, hard, it's harder than going to the moon to North Korea right now. We have an easier chance to travel to moon in our lifetime than to visit North Korea's free people. So he knows that defectors are threats. So it's like catching a Jewish person and sending it to streets like that. Chinese regime, there's a slave hunters in China. If you report a North Korean defector, you get money by the CCP. Mm. You get rewarded. So people are looking for defectors. So we have to hide. And only people who are willing to hide us are the traffickers. And it's being sold actually as a sex slave. Slave is not even the worst thing. There are three places that we will end up. One is a organ harvesters. They buy us and take our organs out and discard our body. And second place is a brothers. They put a girl in a room, has no even window, tiny little room and let her get raped up to 500 times a day. And they last less than six months and they die. Last one is where the village men ship in and buy a girl and raped them rotationally. Or brothers in the family by then raped them. So that's the place we end up and there are right now 300,000 of them in China.
0: So this is, this is China today.
1: It's continuing right now. During the pandemic, I was so appalled in Chinese website like their Google by it too. It's like Uber Eats. You order a North Korean girl, just few button, and deliver to your door to get killed and get raped by you. Right now.
0: Um, there are many people in America making a lot of money off of China and doing business with China, and we never hear these stories.
1: Because of that.
0: The Take media the does not talk about yeah. what you've just shared. We they, know you're not making
1: this up. Last year, I was was my first book that you just have was going to be made into a movie by the, one of the Hollywood Studios producers. And this producer sent me a script. And in the pro- script, he said, China was my promised land. Mm-hmm. China was protecting me and gave me a roughish. And I called him, like, what are you talking about? Like, this is not what happened. And he said, this is the only way we can make a movie about North Korean Hollywood. That's why there are so many movies about Holocaust, but not even one single movie. There's genocide in the Congo, I mean, Hotel Rwanda, right? Nobody dared to touch North Korean genocide because of Chinese influence in Hollywood and American mainstream.
0: So, you were 13 when you made your way to China and your mother, and initially you were not, you weren't allowed to say that you were mother and daughter, no. And you were not allowed to say that you're 13 because they wanted to believe you're 18 to buy you to be his wife. So on, in the level of horrors that you've described, this was less bad than many things that could have happened.
1: No, but this they is say that, but uh, this was the same broker willing to sell to the brothers, the investors who gives him the most money.
0: Okay, so, so the broker the who guy buys guy. you as his wife,
1: mm-hmm. he was selling to these people. Was, was
0: selling other women to organ harvesters brothers. and to brothels. Yeah. And so you were forced to live with this man.
1: So I was 13. I was separated from my mom and I was alone. And there's a Han broker, Chinese broker bought me. He was by then like third broker. So we go through the human trafficking ring. Each time we are sold, they make a the bigger margin on us. So initially, my mother's price was $65. They sold my mom, 21st century. And they sold me just over $200 because I was a child virgin. And that's something precious for these people, these perverted people. And then this handbroker, he got me. And he was very impressed that I was still a virgin. Because normally women don't keep to virginity because they get attacked so many times. And luckily I had my mom until him. So my mom offered herself every single time and they're trying to rape me and she was raped in front of me, inside of me.
0: You, you describe that in the book that your mother was raped in front of you and that was the first, that was your first experience of any kind of the sexual act was watching your mother being raped. Um, and this happens every time there's a transaction. And so where did you end up eventually
1: in this, uh, handbrokers? He bought me and then he said, if I become, I was gonna kill myself. I lost. You said
0: you were going to kill yourself. Yeah,
1: I was like, as a knife. I was like, you know, I lost my mind. I, I could not live like that. So I was like end of my life. And he said. If I become his mistress, he was going to help me, buy my family back to me. He was going to help me my family. So
0: and in some way, as, as bad as he was, in some way he was true to that word, to this promise to you. Yeah. Which is an interesting part of the story. I think you say this, that even the worst person has some good. Of course. And well, you say, of course, some people don't see it that way. I, <laughs> you are correct. It's mm-hmm. fascinating that this person who did great evil, nonetheless, did help you. Yeah. To find your father.
1: My mom. He pulled you, my mom back from the farmer that he sold.
0: And 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 rescued your mother from to, because he said, if you if you don't kill yourself, I will do this for you.
1: Yeah.
0: So you're you're reunited with your mother. And how did you see your father again?
1: Uh, he brought my father from North Korea. And by then, my father was extremely sick because of all the torture he got from the prison camp. So he passed away. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember Beijing Olympic in 2008. I remember World was celebrating it. It was like a huge, huge festival. And as a refugee in China, seeing all the signs, like he... He died right before that in 2008 and I couldn't even cry because we could not let people know that somebody died. Somebody would hear us. And he, he was buried in the middle of the night. I buried him in the mountain in his ashes.
0: The story of your father dying, um, because I'm a father and I have a daughter. It's very, um, uh, it's very beautiful it's very very moving um and the idea that he somehow gave you hope and courage somehow your father yeah to continue
1: i know it's like my second book starts like this like he said my father said um people (laughs) leave their names when they die in the world and tigers leave their skin. He told me always make your lame, long and lasting. Like what kind of North Korean thinks about that? Everybody thinks about finding next meal. And then he told him, he told me so many things in life, even in North Korea. In this situation, he told me that I had to become like a lollipoly doll. You know, there's a doll always comes back up no matter how many times you hit it. He said, no matter how many times I hit you, you have to just come back up and fight back, and I think that's what kept me going in China. Like I did not know world like existed. I did not know this day was coming for me, and I still had to be hopeful. And that lesson stuck in me. Um,
0: after you left, um, after your father died, you eventually. Were able to make your way to Mongolia.
1: Yeah, to Kosovo desert.
0: That was the real escape.
1: That's that was the one escape for freedom.
0: In other words, when because when you escaped from North Korea into China, China was you for escaped free. into slavery, yes. sex slavery. Yeah. Um, how was it that you eventually were able to go from China? Uh, to Mongolia, which has complicated relationships with different countries, but you knew that if you can get to Mongolia, you're out of China.
1: So here is where I, this man who bought me, he became very, uh, like he was gambling so much, become addicted to that. And then, by some reason, he was letting me go. And even in China, somebody lets you go, where do you go? I was going to restaurants and begged them, like, I can wash dishes, I can work clean, just give me a place to eat and sleep with my mother. They would not give me that job, to be washing dishes. And then we heard there's a place, something called a camp, And so basically they give you a refuge to stay shelter where you get fed and you have a place to sleep. Instead of that, you need to perform sex acts in front of the cameras.
0: Like a chat room.
1: Chat room, chat yeah. yeah. And then I was thinking it's better than getting raped physically, right? And that was the best option I had in China to survive. So I ended up in the chat room with my mother. In this chat room, there's another lady in the other room. And she said, there are some missionaries from South Korea Willing to help us. And I did not know what word missionary was. And she was like, They're Christians. Like what's Christian? <laughs> like I don't know what that is. And we had a call with this pastor over the phone and he's we don't know even how to pray. He said, I'm gonna pray for your protection. At the end of you have to just say Amen. And I was laughing. It's like somebody's praying to something nothing, right? And then he said, If you wanna be rescued that you gotta come to the shelter at home. We're gonna teach you about Bible. So we left the chat room and then we joined him in Qingdao, China. We joined them with eight other people in our team and I was studying Bible for several months. And then it's, our price to be rescued by missionaries was believing in God. And it's funny, it's a, it's like I was, I thought it was that's unbelievable, like what do you mean? Like there's God and Jesus, and they said, my uh, de facto lady, Sui, don't worry about it. Think about God as a Kim Il-sung. He loved us so much, he was giving us his son, Kim Jong-il. His body dies, but his spirit is with us forever. Because North Korea copied the Christianity, even 10 amendments, right? So everything was same theory, just names were switched. But... I mean, by then, I was so desperate to survive.
0: Obviously, you will say anything. Of course,
1: I would believe in like a rock if somebody asked, if you believe in a rock, I'm yeah. going to rescue yeah. I would believe in a rock. Yeah. So I became a Christian. And then they said, if you want to escape China, you have to walk across frozen Gobi Desert.
0: You have to walk across the frozen Gobi Desert. In
1: minus 40 degrees. In 2009, in February, when I was 15 years old. And that needed a miracle. That's why they needed to pray. The chance of surviving was not even 1% there. So they said, only God can rescue guys, not even us. We need a miracle. So we prayed, we prayed, and that's how I survived the desert.
0: So you, you got through the Gobi Desert yeah. to Mongolia. Yeah. And how did you end up in South Korea?
1: So I didn't die, and then...
0: You didn't die.
1: I didn't die, luckily.
0: Yeah. We were, all, died. we were all guessing that. You didn't have yeah.
1: to. <laughs> oh, I crossed, like, 16 wire fences in the desert. Didn't get electrified. And got the Mongolian side, and soldiers captured us. And they contacted South Korean embassy. And a few months later, they sent us to South Korea as refugees. So that's how I became free
0: it's extraordinary there's so there's so much we're we're leaving out of course because of time so you find yourself now with your mother
1: yeah
0: in south korea
1: mhm you're free yeah
0: um you still had not found out what happened to your sister
1: but right, i still lost her right, at the moment
0: how did you find your sister
1: when i was uh, seven years later when I was 20 years old, uh, she came to South Korea, not knowing that we made it to South Korea. And in South Korea, when we enter the country, they have to check our information and make sure that we are North Koreans and we are not spies. Very, very serious integration they do, you know. So it matched with our names and my sister's names, so they found us like that, the data center.
0: Do you, did you ever worry when you were in South Korea that uh, Kim Jong-un would have people in South Korea to kidnap you, to bring you back?
1: Now you do, because uh, when I was in South Korea, I was informed by NIS, South Korean National Intelligence. Uh, I, I've been on his killing list for a while. and there You were
0: many. on his killing list yes. for a while. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. <laughs>
1: Exactly, one of He hates me. <laughs> Kim Jong Un knows me, and he's been trying to kill me for some time. But that's why I have to avoid countries like Malaysia, countries that like in the South America that used to hire hitmen. I mean, they killed Kim Jong Nam in Malaysia by hiring hitmen. So I cannot travel many countries. They killed who? Sorry. His half brother. In oh, Malaysia, brother yeah. the no Yeah. Right. At the airport. So. Uh but I don't know if America like protect me. I got cancelled by FBI last year. And then South Korea Intelligence Exactly, thank you. South Korean Intelligence said you should reach out the FBI, they should protect you. Now you're American. Yeah. I became American last year. So,
0: Congratulations. Thank
1: you. <laughs> thank you so much. And and then Oscar intelligence was saying, no, no, you're their responsibility. I'm sure FBI going to protect you. Sure. So when they reached out to me to come give a speech, I was excited. I was like, Finally, they're going to protect me. And then two days before my speech, the head of diversity calls me.
0: The head of diversity yeah. at the FBI? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then Great. she said like we have to answer your speech. Yeah. And why? You're
0: not diverse enough?
1: And then she's like yeah, because of your political opinions. And this is a funny. And that time I became American, and in my American interview, citizenship interview, my interviewer asking me this exact question. Have you ever persecuted anybody for their political opinion? You know, if you said yes, you cannot become American.
0: But you, but you can become FBI.
1: Exactly. These <laughs> people should be stripped of American yeah. citizen. Right? Well, now.
0: we know the FBI is not as American as it used to be. <laughs> we don't want to say controversial. But, you know, those people can go to hell.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so, you, you're in South Korea. Yeah. How did you end up? Did you ever want to come to the United States? I mean, what's fascinating about your story, and again, I'm talking about the, the first book mainly, is how you discover things. I mean, you, you were so totally brainwashed yeah. that you keep having these revelations of things as time passes, that what you believed was not true. And mm-hmm. you didn't even know of the existence of the outside world. You didn't know about the existence of the United States. When did it occur to you, maybe, that you would visit the United States?
1: Uh, through Christians, okay? <laughs> Something about Christians keep calling me to America, you know, <laughs> the promised land calls me. Uh, the, there was a Tyler, Texas. Do you guys know Youth With a Mission? Youth
0: With a Mission, so I did a YWAM. GTS.
1: Yes, I did a YMGTS program. Yeah. Yeah. And they were in Tyler, Texas. Yeah. So until that point, I still was very afraid of America. I mean, over until my life, Americans, all I saw was like posters. We were like big nose, green eyes, cold blooded reptiles. I had no idea. I mean,
0: th- again, this is the propaganda in North Korea was so strong. Yeah. That even all these years later, you still had it in your mind that Americans are these monsters.
1: Yeah, I did. And I landed at, uh, there's a layover in Houston to Tyler at the airport. And then I just got out of airplane, so afraid. And there's this guy in a hoodie eating chips. And he was
0: it a, a senator? No.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: because I, I'll be honest with you, I'm very scared of him also. Yeah. He's very frightening, very Twilight Zone. Yeah. Um, but uh, so you, you even though you're in Houston. You're still afraid of Americans, you're still believing some level of what has been taught to you by the propaganda.
1: So, after living through something like that, I remember in South Korea, they were saying, everything, everything you believed in North Korea was a lie. And I was thinking, so if everything was a lie, how do I know what you're telling me is not a lie? Right. It's like, it's very hard. You know, when you go through something like that, you really lose faith in humanity. You don't know how to trust again. And I found the trust through books. Books have saved me, saved me. It has been my refugee, it has been everything to me. And reading George Orwell's Animal Farm, that's when I finally understood what happened to my people, what happened to North Korea. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, through those books, it was a gradual change.
0: So you come to Tyler, Texas with YWAM. Yes. And uh, you did you consider yourself a Christian or you're just going for the going along for the ride? I mean, they're nice people.
1: So initially, for me, going to YWAM was I was a little bit, had an instance with a pastor in South Korea, in China. Yeah. And I told the pastor about things that I had to do to survive in China, but being in a chat room, all of that. He said, I was dirty, I was sinner.
0: Yeah.
1: And now I'm thinking about it, like Christianity, is saying everybody's sinner, right? He didn't really, I guess, didn't mean that what I did was sinner, okay. but I don't know. He just said what I did was very, very dirty. I can never be white again.
0: It was condemning. Yeah. yeah. So
1: I think that's when I heard, world is never gonna forgive me if I tell them what I did to survive. Yeah. And then I became very resentful of that. But then I still thought, like, I owe it to them. I need to at least know God or Bible properly because they made me promise that if we rescue you, you really have to give a chance for God. And I said, I promise yes. So I came for that to learning about Bible again.
0: So that's why you went to Tyler, Texas. Mm -hmm. And so how did you decide to stay in America?
1: I didn't. I went back to South Korea again. I, I did a DTS and I went to South America, uh, for the program and then went back to America, South Korea. Yeah. And then, uh, I had a speech to give in, uh, Dublin Island. And that speech gone really viral.
0: Oh, that's what, that's right. Okay. So I was
1: invited to write a book in New York. That's how I came back here in 2014. In
0: 2014. Yeah. And so how, and how long have you been in the United States? Eight years. Eight years? Yeah. So you went to Columbia University. That's what you write about to some extent in, the, in your new book, um, While Time Remains. And what you describe when you achieve this dream, mm-hmm. um, something similar happened to me in the 1980s at Yale, right? It's the, it's the dream of immigrants mm-hmm. to go to a place like this. This is success. Mm-hmm when you describe what you encountered, even your first week first day your first day, <laughs> it sounds made up, it sounds like this is made up but I know it's not made up, I know yeah. it's true talk about what you encountered uh, in at, at Columbia and elsewhere
1: where do I begin? yeah seriously uh, I mean my classmates, perfectly lovely people they're in there like Lululemon, $100 like yoga pants. Or they're like green juice detox. I mean, for me, in North Korea, I ate plants to survive with my bunny. Now they eat like salad, too skinny. I was very really offended in America, people do that, right? I did not know the problem in America is having too much food. And they were telling me they're oppressed, like Colombia.
0: The women wearing the $100 Lululemon
1: pants and the $10
0: green drinks were saying they're oppressed.
1: Yeah. And I was asking them, why are you oppressed? So in Colombia, every class, before class, we have to introduce ourselves. Not about who you are, your name, or your major. It's about first thing you have to do is your pronoun. Your pronoun. And... What year was this? 2016.
0: Holy cow.
1: I learned English by watching Friends <laughs> <laughs> in 2014, two years prior. In France, they don't have they as a pronoun, they don't yeah. have a Z, X, Y, like yeah. none of that pronouns exist. So I go to Colombia and then I uh, name they as he, as a biological male. and in tears, how I make them feel threatened. And then my professors were saying, uh, who likes to read? I mean, give me examples. You need to be woke. And I thought, like, my initial was not good. I thought, I was, I'm awake. I'm <laughs> awake, right? Like, why is she saying I need to be woke? And she's like, let me give you an example of being woke. Like, who likes to read? Jane Austen. And I love reading. And Jane Austen, I, I learned so much about being a human through her book. So I, like, raised my hand. And she said, Jane Austen was, like, you know, living in an era of white colonialism and white supremacy. By reading her work, you convey the message that only white men are capable of reasonable thinking. And that's how you oppress minority people. this is By reading
0: Jane Austen. Jane Austen. You oppress people by reading Jane Austen.
1: And then we have a consent orientation. Everybody needs to take at Columbia when you begin the college. And as a rape survivor, you appreciate that they teach you how to get a consent from your sex partner. And then after these two long hours of lecture, they give us examples. So you and I going to Colombia together. You, go, you and I go out drink at the bar. We Both of us had a beer. We had consensually, like, agreed to make love. And the next day, wake up. I feel, I think it was under the influence I made a mistake. Now I can call that rape because I was under influence, but what about the guy? He also drank too. And I was thinking, this is an insult to rape survivors. This is not what rape is. They are redefining the word oppression. They are redefining the word rape and racism. And they say, math is racist, it's made up. And I was thinking, this is what my teacher taught me as younger in North Korea. She said, what's one plus one? And I said two. My dear my teacher said wrong. My dear leader, when he was a kid, discovered that if you add one drop of water to another drop of water, what does it become? It becomes bigger one. It does not become two. That's how math is made up by white men to control the minority. Colombia, they were saying the exact same thing.
0: I mean I'm I'm amazed that already in twenty sixteen in your freshman year, these things were being pushed so aggressively? Yeah. Because we know they're out there. But the idea that you have had your experience and you come to this place and they are shoving this down your throat, these ideas, very aggressively, I mean, it's amazing to me. How did you survive four years at Columbia?
1: It was last year, my senior seminar. I... I was studying economics and then human rights and political science. And then, this is a human rights course, right? And they were telling me, I mean, they're redefining the word human rights again. You know, human rights means free healthcare, free education. I mean, you're so entitled to everything, so everything should be free for you. And I mean, the people who are actually fighting for human rights, it's a different thing. But she asked me, she's saying, like, you know, uh, there's no difference between men and women. And I thought, like, I can never be a man. I, or so by then I gave a birth. I was a mother. Like I know what my body can do and my guy's body cannot do. And she said, who told you that you cannot be a man? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I said, okay, somebody brainwashed you. You are brainwashed. And they would just shut me down like that. So I learned. And then they said, Columbia is a safe space not about physical safety, it's about emotional safety. And before the classes, professors send this trigger warning emails. Don't come to class and don't do the reading. And if it triggers you in any way, don't even tell me why. So you don't need to go to class, you need to do the reading. Then why on earth are you in college?
0: To get that fake degree.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. It's
1: our fake degree now.
0: It's ex- it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. I mean, it's been bad for a long time, but it's obviously gotten so bad that to hear you say these things. Uh, so that's a main reason that you wrote the new book, uh, Wild Time Remains, with a foreword by Jordan Peterson, um, because you're convinced that similar things that you experienced in this nation, a brainwashed cult in North Korea, have come here,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you're that speaking is. about it.
1: Yeah, I think the reason I write all my book was living through a pandemic, especially, until then, my agent was protecting me, you know, let's still try to reach out the liberals, you know, they were like, I'm sure they're going to do something about China. I met Jack Bezos, <laughs> I flew in the same private jail with Harvey Weinstein right before the Me Too and talking to these people. They say they care about Black Lives Matter. They care about the racism and they want to end the slavery. I talked to them in person. They say, I, I'm sorry what you went through, but don't even tell people that you know me. They say that's how cowardly these American elites are. And then living through the pandemic, I was living in Chicago. My son, who was like two, learning to walk even, they would put him on the like, mask up here eight hours a day. They are opening a strip club next door. And then I go to a park. They open the dog parks. But as a child mother, I cannot take him to the playground. Like, actually, animals have more rights from the pandemic than my son had, my child had. And I did, one day I got robbed in Chicago in the middle of the day.
0: This is... Um you, you have to tell this story, because so, this is um, this is unbelievable. So you were briefly living in Chicago.
1: For three years, yeah. Please. You
0: have your son with you? Yeah. Okay.
1: I was walking the Michigan Avenue in the afternoon, during the day, some few black women come, pushing me and punching me and took my wallet away. But that's okay, I mean, anybody. The people raped me were Asians. I mean, it's not about racing here, right? Anybody can be anything. It's not a race. They all just happen to be a black woman. It's fine. But what happened was that the crowd, what people did on the street that day, I pulled my phone out trying to call the police for help. I was a young mother being punched by these people in front of my son. These people circled me, on people on the street, saying the person color don't make them a, like a thief. You're a racist. Like why are you doing this? Why are you trying to call the cop?
0: Why you were calling the cop on the women who did this?
1: Punching me and taking my wallet away.
0: Chicagoans came to you yeah. and said, you are a racist yeah, for racist. making this phone call.
1: So, and then they, almost a circus, I couldn't do anything and then they let them run away from me. And that's when I was like, in you know, something like the madness of crap. It's not just Colombia going crazy. This country collectively going crazy now. I mean like, I, even North Korea is not this is crazy. China even is not crazy. They're a bad horrible regime, but common sense is still there. You help out the victim, not the criminal. It's like in North Korea, like how America works right now. So Your people divided based on their skin color. They call my son, who is a half North Korean, half American, he's half white, a privileged child because he's half white. And. Because your skin color, and it's like, who chooses their ancestors? Okay, You cannot punish people for something they did not choose. That's why racism is bad, right? You punish for something like skin color. And now we are doing that racism against white people. And they told me that I cannot possibly understand oppression because I'm a white passing person. So that is... A
0: white passing person?
1: So now they say Asians are whites. There's no difference between Asian whites. And I completely eliminated from that topic. So I was thinking, like in North Korea, we were divided based on what our ancestors did. Like if my great-grandfather was a capitalist and landowner, they say, your blood is tainted. Your genetics is oppressive. And now they say, whites being white, are oppressive to other people. And it's exact same tactic and the obsession on what we can say, what we cannot say, like North Korea. In North Korea, we get executed. In America, if you say the wrong thing, you lose your job, you lose your character and dignity, your livelihood is ruined. So of course, you're not North Korea, but you're getting there. So at some point, you need to turn back.
0: Well, you, you continue to speak out, and that's why I was so thrilled to have you, to read, to read your books, to have you as our guest here, because you, uh, you give other people hope, because you will not be quiet. You continue yeah. to speak, and, and listen, uh, as bad as Columbia is, <laughs> as bad as downtown Chicago is, most of America is not that crazy. And there are many, many people around the world and certainly around this country that are grateful for voices that are speaking the truth. Because they understand that a man can't become a woman and men cannot give birth and they understand these things Mm -hmm. and we're living in a time when simply declaring them is suddenly considered a brave act which of course is ridiculous but um you do seem still to have hope otherwise you wouldn't be talking about these things why do you have hope why do you talk about these things
1: so uh when i was escaping from north korea at least it was i you know i had a place to escape to America, right? I think it's harder for Americans to imagine this. Just imagine the world without America. It's a dark place. This country is a hope for humanity. It's not because I'm American saying this, as the outsider coming from that country, those countries, the world will look up to America, not because this country is just wealthy and like that. The value this country stands for, this dedication to protect individual dignity and freedom. That's very rare, because we're the smallest minority, that is individual. And there are so many countries dedicated to protect just the collective, and you don't matter if you're individual. When North Korea came out, attacked me, they said she was individualistic when she was a kid. For North Korea, that is the worst criticism you can give to somebody. That's how being individualistic is the worst thing. And this country made a constitution out of that to protect individual liberty. So, I mean, like, if we lose America, where do we go? Are we going to escape to North Korea? Are we skipping to the moon? I mean, that's the kind of the only option right now. So I think that's why we have to protect this country. I have no option other than fighting for it. And I'm not going to run this time. Like when I was reading uh, Animal Farm, Until that point, I hated the dictator. I was thinking, how horrible these evil guys are enslaving people, doing this to these people. But then when you read a book, it's it's a process. Like when I was born in North Korea, I did not even know that I was oppressed. Like, how do you fight to be free if you don't know you're a slave? And North Korea came to a point, so when it came to me, I couldn't even fight because I didn't even know that was an option. My grandmother knew though. They knew the time before Kim Il-sung. They knew the time before Communist Revolution. Because they wanted, they were scared, they didn't speak out. We came that far. So while we know this is wrong, I think this is the time to push back.
0: Yeah. We um, we're basically out of time. Uh, fortunately, I have a radio show,
1: <laughs> and I get
0: to talk to you more. Have um, And but we are so grateful to you, you and me, for for being here. I want to tell everyone that um, I, I really do mean it. Um, you will be blessed. Uh, if you read these books, the reason I say read the first book first um, is because it sets up what Yon Mi says in the second book, which is very powerful. Some of the stories that you tell Yon Mi in the new book are hilarious <laughs> because the idea of you earnestly speaking to people like Hillary Clinton personally, uh, Harvey Weinstein personally, and other people and believing that they will help you and then finding out that they're not exactly making that their first priority. There's something tragic and very funny in these encounters that you you have uh, in in this book. So it's extraordinary. You were able to have these experiences and then to tell the world about what the cultural elites actually think about victims of rape uh, and oppression around the world. How about another round of applause for one of my favorite people, Young Mi Park.